Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Copper and Blue. I'm your host, Preston Hodgkinson, and joining me is my co-host, Shona Hickmore. And, well, we can step away from the ledge now, Oiler fans. Um, our six-game losing streak has ended, and we've responded with two straight wins. A dominant 5-2. Was a 5-2 win against Columbus? Uh, 5-2 win against so. Columbus. And then they go into Seattle and exact some revenge and take home a hard-fought 5-3 victory while they were missing some key guys, including Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Jesse Pugliarvi, who were the latest in a long list of players entering the NHL's COVID protocol. So, Hey, 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 hold on. Let me take my shots while I can take my shots. Who else entered the NHL's uh, COVID protocol? Oh, do you want this podcast to be an hour long while I bring out all the names? There's one very particular name that I find super interesting because um, (laughs) he was very vocal about how vaccinations, spoiler, who's very vocal about how vaccinations shouldn't be required and and Keith is now in COVID protocol. So as someone I know put it, I guess the shiny red lights didn't do all of that that they were supposed to. I guess the infrared lights that he was shining on himself didn't exactly make him immune to COVID. But uh, yeah, Duncan is also in COVID protocol. Not much of a loss, I don't think, for this team. No, I just find it very... um, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> telling that a player who was so vocally opposed to the idea of having to vaccinate to be able to play, you know, I think he called it something like an infringement on, on players rights to determine their own health yeah. or some nonsense like that at the start of the season, because he was doing all of this stuff to boost his immune system and he wouldn't be impacted by COVID is now out in COVID protocol. It's uh, it really does to me, um, highlight how being healthy isn't or being healthy or being physically active or any of those things isn't a preventative measure for covid yeah which, and you know we've been hearing a lot of so yeah and it seems like the the dominant um unfortunately the dominant narrative here in the nhl you've heard steve yeiserman say it as well as that um well, these are young, fit players. They're vaccinated. Who cares if they get COVID? Just let them go out and play, which is an awful idea. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way to get the league shut down a lot quicker than it probably already is. Um, well, the other thing that uh, I find super interesting about uh, why I should know way better. Is, oh, yeah. Um, does he think that his league exists only in a bubble of, of players? Right? Yeah. It you know, like... Your staff, your equipment people, their families, you know, all the the people like let's let's roll it back a little bit. You know, how many how many people related to the Vancouver Canucks were out in COVID protocol or out um, impacted by COVID when the Vancouver Canucks were out with COVID? Because, you know, even you see it with the Oilers right now, if you want to be super topical. If they've got a dozen, they've got a dozen people or something like that in COVID protocol. Yeah. And they're not all players, right? So to say, oh, well, why are we testing healthy players? They're vaccinated and healthy. You know, well, great. One, Todd Bertuzzi is not vaccinated. Um, you know, so they're not all vaccinated. Um, two, just because Tyler. they're currently healthy doesn't mean they don't have underlying conditions. And three, it's so stupid to assume that everyone that they come in contact with is at the same peak levels of health because we know for a fact that that's not true right yeah, well look at look at uh well the oilers have a few fantastic examples well fantastic i'm using in a 
not a great sense, but um, just look at how damaging it was to a guy like Josh Archibald, who I don't believe was vaccinated, caught COVID. Now he has a heart condition, myocarditis, threatening his career. It could threaten his life at some point. It's a serious thing. And then Alex Stalock's career is effectively over as well due to some complications from COVID as well. So for people to go out and say, oh, who cares? Let's let them spread it around. It's just so uneducated, such a stupid thing to say. The wild... Wild just had a guy come back um, that was severely impacted by it as well. Yeah, that was so, Marco Rossi, I believe. Yeah, Rossi. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like being, again, CBY, stop shining the bright red lights into your eyes and assuming that that fixes things. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's not, I'm sorry, like it's, it, professional being a professional athlete doesn't exempt them from condition or especially doesn't exempt them from long-term side effects we know nothing about yet so you know i uh i actually think that the nhl has been one of the least responsive leagues around um covid concerns so uh yeah and i think that that really has a that's a a testament on how um, the people in charge of, of handling this in the league, it seems like a lot of the, the people high up in the NHL's executive uh, branch is really conservative about this topic and really just willfully ignoring the science behind it. But uh, that's not to say they haven't taken any preventative measures. Um, the NHL season has been put on pause for cross-border play for the next uh, few days over the Christmas break, which means that the, up- the next three upcoming Oiler games are postponed uh, indefinitely, I guess. Uh, so the Oilers are not. But they will be played Christmas. because they will Corey, be played. no longer with us, would remind us that the NHL cannot, will not, refuses to use win percentage as a metric for the playoffs. And therefore, everyone will have to play the same yep. amount of games. Well, if the Vancouver Canucks, who I swear to God had one player not affected by COVID, uh, can finish the season with 82 games and they're going to look Calgary and Vancouver were playing their own little playoff series last year <laughs> their own meaningless playoff series I know it was a little ridiculous um, so the Oilers aren't in action but let's talk a little bit about uh, the last two Oilers games because they're a lot more positive than the previous six before that uh, so the first game saw the Oilers welcome in the Columbus Blue Jackets to Rogers place Yessi Pugliarvi had a fantastic game with two goals of his own, almost a hat trick. Uh, he had a few uh, shots at the Hattie, but couldn't get it. The Oilers take away the 5-2 win. And I was uh, actually at that game in Rogers' place. And I got to say, the team played uh, pretty good. pretty pr- A pretty good game from uh, from the bottom six, especially I was impressed with. And uh, Evan Bouchard, Jesse Pugliarvi were some standouts in that one. And it's uh, we yeah, were talking I'm... a little bit about this before the we started recording. It seems like they're areas of weakness are now turning into some of their areas of strength without Dave Tippett behind the bench and Glenn Gullitson leading the way. I don't know if they're necessarily areas of strength yet. Yeah. That's a little bit maybe more optimistic than I am willing to be. Um, But I will say that they're not as, as you're not seeing them, like they're stronger than they were. They're not as weak. Um, And I think that does have a lot to do with, perhaps different coaching or different line matching, um, you know, just different ways of seeing the Oilers on ice and how they can match up and like take advantage of other teams weaknesses, because 
let's be honest, the Oilers' weaknesses are out there. Everyone knows them. And teams have been more than happy to exploit them in the six games previous to this, right? So um, it's nice to see them kind of flip the narrative on that and be able to like shore up some weak points and um, take advantage of some of Columbus's, you know, stuff that wasn't working for Columbus to, to continue to like push and push and push, which is another thing that they're notoriously bad at this year, maybe not as bad as other years, but that whole, we've played like, you know, some good minutes. Let's just kind of sit back and see what happens mentality. So yeah. And, it, you know, that kind of crept into their game in the third period. Um, they did something that they haven't been able to do in quite a long time, and that's score the first goal. Uh, they actually got out to a 4 nothing lead at one point. So uh, that mm-hmm. kind of, that lackadaisical um, attitude kind of crept into their game in the third period. Columbus came back with two goals of their own. Everyone in the building was holding their breath, but then finally getting that uh, that 5-2 empty net goal to seal things off was uh, the thing that really put it out of reach for, for the Oilers. Uh, then they went into Seattle. They previously lost against the Kraken. I believe it was, what was the score here? 4-3, back, all the way back on December 3rd. Um, they exacted some revenge. They went 5-3. Um, one of the standouts in that game was Warren Fogle playing on the top line in the absence of uh, Zach Hyman, who is injured, not on COVID protocol. Uh, Warren Fogel's really starting to hit his stride with the Edmonton Oilers here. It's looking like that you play this guy with skill and he, he'll give you something. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, my thoughts are if playing him with skill was the answer to get something out of Warren Fogel, uh, why haven't we been playing him with skill up until now? <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's one of the things I think he did in Carolina. He was a common line mate. I think I could be completely wrong, but I think he played a lot of minutes with Sebastian Aho, Svechnikov with Carolina skill guys. So when he came in here and started it on the third line, it was a little bit of a learning curve for him and uh, the points just weren't there. So if the Oilers can move Fogel into that top left wing spot, it allows them to move Hyman down in the lineup. And Hyman can play both wings. So maybe you put Hyman on the second line with Nugent Hopkins and Drysaddle, and that makes you able to uh, demote Kyler Yamamoto, who's had some struggles in the top six, but maybe he'll perform better in a lesser role um, centered on a line with Ryan McLeod. And I, I think it gives the Oilers a lot of options when they're um, back back and uh, healthy and have a full lineup here. I agree. It gives the Oilers a lot of options. I uh maybe disagree with how they should roll out those options. Um, <laughs> I personally don't, and I didn't believe this with Cassian and I don't believe this with Fogel, think that one good game should yeah. guarantee a spot on the top line. I think um, one, Fogel, if Fogel fits a need on the top line, fine, play him there. Yeah. But I don't think that, um, I worry that the Oilers will fall into a trap that, uh, we sometimes see them fall into where they traded a lot for Fogel. They're taking a lot of heat on that trade. They really need to make it look like it is beneficial to the Oilers. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw that a lot with the Adam Larson trade, right? Where we, we and I think we're hearing a little bit with Fogel. Um, well, this is the price for what we needed to acquire. This is the price for what we needed to acquire, which is blatantly untrue because as I'm sure Dennis would have you know pointed out in the last podcast several times because he's good for that um it's not the price that everybody else is paying to acquire those pieces so um if you're overpaying to acquire pieces everyone else is not paying that same price to acquire 
Well, then that just means that whoever's sourcing your material sucks at their job. So, you know, I honestly, when I look at Fogel, I am not sure that he is a consistent. Uh, yes, I think he should play with skilled players, but I'm not sure he's a top, a consistent top six players for top six, top six players for the Oilers. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's but, a, it is a little bit early to be saying that Warren Fogel is the answer. I know we like to do that here in oil country. We like to see a player, uh, you know, like Ty Ratty. He was the answer at one point. I'm sure Ben Scrivens was the answer after that crazy game when he was here in Edmonton. No, Zach, Zach Cassian after that playoff run. Was Zach Cassian was the answer. Miko Koskinen and... had a hot start. He was the answer. <laughs> now we hate him because he was the answer, but he wasn't the answer. Yeah. You know, Mike so... Smith was the answer, but now he's perpetually broken. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would say, you know, I think there was a reason that Carolina was willing, and it's not just because they were hosing us on that trade. There was a reason they were willing to trade Fogel. And I yeah. think um, I think if you look at the whole part of his, like the entirety of his play, I don't, I think that yes, he had a very good game against Seattle. And yes, he looked really good on that top line. But like you said, Preston Tyratty looked really good on that top line for a bit. And, you know, Zach Cassian's looked really good on that top line. And so, like, I'm always very hesitant. I think, yes, he could potentially be a top six player, but my understanding was he was brought in to anchor the bottom six. Yeah, for sure. So uh, if you specifically traded for a bottom six player or someone to anchor your bottom six, um, and he's now the answer to your problems in your top six. Well, either you suck at talent acquisition or what? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely too early to definitively say that Fogel is going to be the guy on the left side of McDavid for the rest of the season. Um, you know, it's in, it's encouraging, though, and it, he has produced well in the first two games there. So uh, I think you give it oh. another shot for a few more games. If he doesn't, I say ride it. I, let's yeah. be clear. If it's working, ride it. Yeah, but for don't, sure. Don't marry yourself to mm-hmm. it. Um, and, and don't it, assume that he's got the, uh, the ability to maintain it long-term. That's mm-hmm. the thing that always bites. Yeah. Um, that's luckily people Fogel, in the ass. Luckily Fogel's on a little bit of a multi-year deal here. So we, we can't, uh, we can't quite overpay him on a contract quite yet. Just like we did to Zach Cassian a few years ago. Um, no. I think the important part about that, if you ride this out for a little bit and see if it works is what it will do with uh, Kyler Yamamoto. I know Yamamoto has had a lot of heat from the Edmonton mainstream media about his shots on goal. And Jim Matheson is uh, the go-to guy on this. He tweets about Kyler Yamamoto after every game and how many shots he got and how uh, he's in the top six, but he's not producing. Um, and I feel right. like um, a lot of other people have Hold said on, who else is in the top six? Zach Cassie has been in the top six for a bit <laughs> yeah. not producing. You won't hear about that, though, okay? That's not allowed. We can't talk smack about Zach Cassian. Um Right. But, Sorry, um, I forgot. Kylie no, Yamamoto. wait, I was never actually part of that club, so I just do whatever the hell I want. Um, yeah. And that's currently talks to Mac about Zach Cassian. Yeah. Nothing against no, him totally. as a person, but I don't think that he's earned his spot as a player. Yeah. Um, but Kyler Yamamoto is a is a feisty, feisty young guy who um, he's out there. He's breaking up plays. He's good defensively. He draws penalties. Um, you know, I think Zach Lang over at Oilers Nation – if you go look at some of his tweets about Yamamoto, he hits it the nail on the head about um just uh 
how you have to look past the point total for Yamamoto. But yeah. if we are able to get Warren Fogle and ride this out, it allows us to maybe let's try Yamamoto in a third line role with, with Ryan McLeod. Okay. Ryan McLeod has been pretty impressive. Let's try them together. Let's see if that I don't, works. Like, here's the thing is I am hesitant to say that. I'm hesitant to um, advocate for moving Yamamoto down the lineup because I've seen our bottom six. And yeah. yes, Ryan yeah. McLeod is doing pretty well right now. But if he cools off, he's he's been a particularly streaky player this year, which is fine. He's a rookie. It's it's fine. It's normal. This is, you know, not the end of the world. We don't need to chase him out of town. Mm-hmm. Um, Yamamoto won't be served well by playing in the more um, physical. Like Yamamoto does like to play physically, but he's not as effective physically as he is with skilled players. So it's yeah. the same problem you have with Fogel. Okay, so you put him in the third line, or the thing is, I don't know if the third line is as physical because you know I I don't. That's think what they've been going for. That's, yeah, I guess that's, that's how they're being. That coached. is what the bottom six has been. I've watched it kind of with this kind of fascinated like train wreck thing going on, where you know we were sitting before the season talking about how it could be a top nine. You know, and it could be three lines of skilled players that could really, you know, contend, push teams. And I've watched as they've gone back to more. Outdated hockey ideas of what their bottom six is. Right. Mm -hmm. So it has become more about checking and being physical and like. um, In a lot of cases, being defensive because your defensive pairings are fucking up on the four check right and hey, i we have, we're not talking about defense this to this week let's change no, I'm, just, I'm just saying <laughs> this is some of the stuff that your bottom six has been yeah. doing mm-hmm. because other people haven't been doing it yeah no um yeah, definitely. and i don't think that that's a role that you will see yamamoto have any more success points wise in right yeah, that's that's fair and um if he doesn't suddenly start scoring 15 goals i don't suddenly think jim matheson's gonna reevaluate his critique criteria and be like well he's you know he's really active he's engaged he's breaking up plays you know he cycles the puck well he reads the ice really well you know all of those things aren't suddenly going to be like things that matter um so i don't think that like as much as I'd like it maybe to get him, I don't think it'll give him any more um, space in Edmonton. And since Yamamoto is on a bridge, I think it's just a one-year bridge right now. Yeah. That It's worrisome to me because the Oilers are in a position to, to pull a, a grand old Oilers and squander a bunch of talent. Yeah, and uh, trade them for something. Something that's probably not worth it, uh, a la Duncan Keith. It's definitely not that. worth it. I've seen the... I have a friend, um, and the clown car song, that do 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 like the whatever, <laughs> is the the song that we use for Oilers GMs because what even, right? Yeah. No, so. it, it and that's a guy that I could see the Oilers giving up on this year just because of um, just because he's not getting points. I feel like too many GMs, too many people around the league look at the point points. Uh, the amount of points that player has, and if it's not above a certain threshold, well, you can trade them for basically nothing. And then once they start putting points somewhere else where they uh, 
are being used properly, then it's uh, oh well, we wouldn't that you would never have done that here. And I feel like, See, but here's the thing: is uh, if the Oilers trade Yamamoto for fuck all, um, it will partly be because they can't evaluate talent, and he doesn't have a certain it, number of points, and therefore isn't safe. And it will partly be because they just fucked up and can't afford to pay him. Yeah, and and another part of that is that the media just runs their smear campaign here. It's they really love firing that up in the middle of the season on on young players who aren't performing. We've seen it with Jesse Puliarvi a few years ago. We saw um, it with Evan Bouchard. We saw it with Evan Bouchard for a little bit as well. Um, even this year, I've seen people say that Evan Bouchard is one of the problems on the defense, and I don't know what game they're watching. I think Evan Bouchard has been our best defender, and yes, I'm including Darnell Nurse in that. I think Nurse has Darnell been pretty Nurse good not... this year. I think Ooh. he's been pretty good Ooh. this year. I don't think Darnell he's $9 Nurse million. Dollars Evan Bouchard. Darnell Nurse, I think he's done pretty good this year. Is he $9 million good? Don't think so. I don't think Darnell Nurse has even been $6 million good. Every game of the Oilers I've been at, Darnell Nurse has gone for a walk. Yeah. You know, Um, so to be quite frank. uh, But Evan Bouchard, especially, I think has been um, more than I, more than, he's been better than Evan Bouchard has, for me, um, Delightfully exceeded expectations for a rookie defenseman mm-hmm. with a coach that clearly showed last year that he had no faith in him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Darnell Nurse has clearly underperformed going into his contract year and had the Oilers negotiated with him this year. Twitter's, Twitter said this multiple times in the last week or so. Had the Oilers been negotiating with Nurse this year, $9 million wouldn't be on the table. Because yeah. he looks like six million, six million dollar defender charitably. But I think Victor Hedman makes eight million, and Darnell Nurse is set to make nine million. And Victor Hedman is like, I don't know, like two and a half defense pairings better than Darnell Nurse this year. Mm-hmm. So you know, I I generally don't dislike Darnell Nurse as a player, but this year I, I just feel like he's he's not. I feel like something's. I th- we talked about it on a podcast before, but I feel like it's coaching. I feel it's yeah. Darnell. He's Nurse, not been the defenseman he's supposed to be. He's got all the tools to be a great shutdown guy. Like he's he's big. He's got a long reach. He's a strong guy. He can edge guys off the puck easily. It he gives up that blue line though every single night. It seems. He like, but here's the thing: if you watch Darnell Nurse, even from junior, Darnell Nurse doesn't want to be a defensive, a shutdown defensive guy. Darnell Nurse wants to be an offensive defenseman. I know, and I think that's part of a coach's job to be like, hey, man, you can chip in an offense sometimes, but, like, you got the frame, you got the style of play here to, to be a good – like, the coach has to step that in would, there and do something about that, right? That would – to be quite honest, that would require the Oilers coaches to have more foresight and player evaluation techniques than I've seen in Oilers coaches. Yeah. Like, they're going to let Darnell Nurse play whatever game Darnell Nurse wants to play because they think it'll make him play better because he had a really good season last year and a COVID-impacted year. Um, well, against... he was on a – his shooting percentage was off the charts yeah. to an un- yeah. unsustainable way. You can't pay for that, which the Oilers did. Um, but, um, uh, so, no, I, I honestly think – should should a coach – let's be honest, his coach and junior also should have been like, dude, do you uh, really think, like – always being up in the play like this works in junior but it's probably not the best bet for you in the nhl mm-hmm. um and maybe he was but it didn't it doesn't haven't hasn't seemed to impact darnell nurse's playing because he's always been that kind of i want to be up in the rush i yeah. uh, 
he's he skates well, but he's had trouble getting back multiple times. Yeah, you know, that, not even uh, just this year. He's out of position. He's not reading the play well. He has the ability to be an amazing shutdown defender. He has the ability to be an amazing offensive defenseman. He has and, to find that balance, though. But he's doing neither. I, th- I think doing- one of the things and- I think that's uh, impacting his game now is that he's seeing his goal totals in last year, and he's off to a, a rough start this year. So I think he's trying a little bit too hard to score goals to get on the, well, the score sheet. Then that is on coaching. That yeah, is on I think coaching. I, I, like- I see a little bit of panic in his game this year. Um, well, I'm not he, saying that as a professional. He's not a rookie. He's not. He's not nowhere near a rookie in this league. Yeah. He needs to be able to. And you and I have had this discussion, I think, uh, where yes, coaching needs to be able to say do these things, but players also need to be able to sort their own shit. They're mm-hmm. professionals, so Darnell Nurse needs to to sit down and be like, "I'm not where I was last year, and that's not going to dictate my game." Mm-hmm. Instead of being like, I'm not where I was last year and I need to get there. So I'm going to try to force a goal. It's not going to fucking happen and let the guy get by me defensively so that we have a goal. So I have another goal against, Yeah, you know, like, I'm sorry if you are so worried about the pieces that are adjunct to your job that you can't do your actual fucking job. You are not, you know, you're not excelling. Mm-hmm. And, and that's as, another thing. Nice as goals are, his job is to defend. Yeah, and that's another thing I want to bring up with Nurse. It's uh, um, I think we've we've talked about this in previous podcasts. I think the last podcast is just he has to pick and choose his shots better from the point. Especially, there's been too many times this season where this this applies to Tyson Berry as well. Um, just taking shots that that don't go anywhere, or they go out of play, or they're blocked, and it just ends a rush. Know, it just it's not just Nurse and Berry. I think that. Quite a few Oilers players this year could do with thinking through their shots a little bit yeah. better before they release them. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think, um, and you know, Evan Bouchard has had his moments of that. But the thing I see with Evan Bouchard is that he's a he's a smart player. He picks and chooses his shots a lot better than the other Oilers defensemen. Just take okay. a look at his uh, his goal thing. in Seattle. He, he Evan Bouchard's played like what forty NHL. I know games? it's it's Darnell's has played three hundred and forty NHL games now. Like. If you're supposed to develop the ability to understand when to shoot and where to shoot and what's your best high value chance to score, then yes, I would expect Evan Bouchard to have a lot more um, less than stellar shots because he's still figuring that out. Yeah, but no, he's getting the most high quality shots from the the point this season, I think. I don't have a statistic to back that up in front of me right now, but... Um, don't you know the eye test is all you need <laughs> yeah when the eye test serves what i think i'm uh, going to use it but no i'm sure you can find some statistics on that as well i just want to point this out this this quick little fun fact here i know i got into a few arguments last season saying that hey if you gave evan bouchard the opportunity that you gave tyson barry i bet evan bouchard would do just as well points wise and this season evan bouchard has played 29 games so has tyson barry tyson barry has 17 points and uh, that's a, with a lot of time, a lot of time on the number one power play in the league. Evan Bouchard has 18 points and he hasn't even sniffed the power play, at least the first unit that uh, usually gets the goals. So Evan Bouchard is doing uh, outscoring Tyson Berry despite getting 
despite getting far less power play time. And I think that's a very telling at what uh, the Oilers should do. But they, yeah, and I thought that we had this discussion last season when we said don't re sign Barry because Bouchard will yeah. effectively be Barry in a year, <laughs> a better if Barry, you just play him. Um, so a, a more um, responsible uh, defender, too. Yeah. Well, we also had this discussion where you don't give Darnell Nurse nine million dollars. So, who? What do we know? Um, nothing. Uh, not hockey. Not hockey men. Um, yeah. No, I. Uh, I definitely think that it's an interesting um, situation that they found themselves in. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think we're going to take a little bit of a break here. Um, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, a little bit more about some of the emergency call-ups that the Oilers brought up. Uh, Cooper Marodi, Seth Griffith, they got on the scoreboard last year in their one and only game with the Oilers. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that and uh, just a few more standouts in the bottom six and maybe why um, maybe why that is. <laughs> I'll leave it cryptic for the next uh, segment here. So we'll be right back. All right, and we're back. I left down a little bit of a weird cryptic note there, but uh, <laughs> not as cryptic as you think it is. If you yeah, maybe to not, maybe at not. all. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, the COVID, COVID has ripped through the Oilers pretty good. Like I said at the top of the show, um, Jesse Puliarvi, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Ryan McLeod, uh, Duncan Keith, Dave Tippett's out. Like a lot of people are out for the Edmonton Oilers, and that uh, has forced a few uh interesting roster moves um two of which included some additions at the forward position uh cooper marodi has made the big big club and so has seth griffith for the time being um if they stay with the team well that remains to be seen once they get healthy but if they're one and only game with the oilers this season is an indicator they should get some more looks here they actually looked really good and uh, I'm not going to say that uh, COVID was a blessing in disguise, but it gave this team an opportunity to see what they had on the farm there. And the results were pretty, pretty, um, pretty impressive after one game. Again, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but uh, uh, what do you All think right. about uh, keeping up uh, Marodi and Griffith and just giving them a few looks in this bottom six that struggled of late? Let's be clear. If you didn't already know what you had on the farm, you were fucking blind. Um, <laughs> we knew what we had on the farm. Do it. It was probably. I'm sorry. The Oilers should be talking to the farm all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, communication with the farm and communication with the farm's farm is pretty <laughs> important. Um, just saying. And then um, it maybe potentially wouldn't be so surprising to so many people when you call up people from the AHL yeah. um, and they're not complete trash because there seems to be this theory that so many people have that if the, the the best 20 whatever 25 players make the roster out of camp which is bullshit yeah it's not true uh, the, the Kyle Turris wouldn't be on this team Devin Shore wouldn't be on this oh. team <laughs> get like, it. Let me that's all like on this. merit or all on a relationship with coaches and it, you could never make a best 25 player team out of camp because in your farm system maybe your best you know Eight of your best 25 players are demon and you can't have a demon. So then what yeah. you take a 13th forward. That's not one of your 25 best, you know, players. So, you know, it's not like, am I super surprised that Meredith came up, came up sort of like he got as far as Seattle um, and made an impact. No, because, you know, I was grumpily, um, calling for them to actually pay attention to, to, to Meredith, to Benson, to McLeod, 
to, to play them in a meaningful role instead of playing them outside their skill sets, you know? And just to, you just mentioned Benson there. He also played uh, 15 minutes, I think, in that game against Seattle, which was a season high. He also looked really yeah. good there. I think it's we've reached a point where the bottom six has been so bad for so long here at Edmonton during the Holland and Tippett era. And you look at what they've done to fix that. It's just been, oh, we need more veterans. We need a veteran guy in there. Put more veterans in there. Um, that's not working. Give yeah. the keys Veter- to the kids but, here. You know what? You know what the, we need more veterans. We need more grit. We need more uh, experience in our bottom six. What that translates to essentially is old and slow. Yeah. Give the keys to the kids here, man. Benson McLeod have looked fantastic all season. You know, Skivier is a veteran guy, but he looks like he actually gives a shit most of the time. So keep Ryan going. looks like he's Ryan's not getting much. Derek Ryan's not getting much done, unfortunately, because I adore yeah. Derek Ryan. Ryan is weird. Ryan. Ryan is a weird case because coming into the season, he was a good player. He was a good bottom six guy over in Calgary. But the yeah, trend, and he was good before that. Yeah, you know, in Carolina, he's it's I, Carolina. this he's, the theme I've seen with the Oilers is that they can acquire guys who were good in other places and play them in the same roles, but the system that's being coached just t- tanks them. So there's something yeah, obviously. So I would wrong. wonder because Ryan apparent or I didn't see all of the last game but ryan apparently looked better in that game as well mm-hmm. so i'm wondering if you know you've gone out and acquired a player and however Tippett wants him to play the same fucking thing as we saw with puyarvi i don't have Corey to swear with me anymore so i'm just going to swear for both of us um <laughs> and your your gerard who will be joining us on the podcast going forward is in Preston's camp of either no swearing or very little swearing. So I guess I'll just have to swear uh, for no, everyone. I think, I think Dennis, uh, Dennis made sure to swear quite a bit um, for the next few weeks um, for this podcast. Well, no, that's, that's fine for him. But like, that was my <laughs> shtick before he got here. So, uh, you know, but I, I, I just think that it's interesting. Like we hear Holland and Tippett know hockey, they know hockey players, they know whatever, but then they get hockey players and they can't, actually connect with most of them mm-hmm. and you know what so, we've alluded to it before but you know dave tippett has been out on covid protocol uh, glenn gulletson has taken over the head coaching job for now until he gets back and the team has looked a lot better being coached by gulletson it's just that's just it it's been a it's, like i said not a large sample size but the bottom six has been contributing um defensive structure looks a little bit better and they've been scoring yeah. again. It looks like he's getting the most out of these guys. And that's something Dave Tippett doesn't do. It, he hasn't done in Edmonton. The only people he can get the most out of is Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. But let's be honest let's with be yourself. Clear, anybody could get the most yeah, out of Connor McDavid they, and Leon Dreisaitl. Leon and Connor McDavid are so good that they don't need someone to get to, the most out of them. They can just do that. They're that good at the game. But when... Dave Tippett coaches here. The bottom six just looks uninspired and just, just frankly don't look like they care. And under Gullitson, it looks like the they've f- been reinvigorated. Like, roll that back, Preston. It's not just the bottom six. Were we not two weeks ago talking about how Cassian looked like he wanted to be anywhere but on the ice for the Oilers? Yeah. So, and he was in the top six. But he was in the top six, right? <laughs> so, um, I think that it's it's... we can condemn Tippett's coaching and Holland's GMing all we want, but I think that 
the most ringing commendation of it um, is that the farther away they are from this team, the better it does. Yeah, no, that's completely right. And, you, and, you know, it's not like Gullitson's a new voice. He's been with this team for four years as an assistant coach, but it looks like the way he thought that he, he planned out the game and it strategized with the team, it looks like it's paying off a lot better than when Tippett's behind the bench. And but, uh, I mean, that could who, just be, who you know, knows? Different, yeah. different coach bump that you sometimes get when they change coaches where mm-hmm. everyone's trying to impress the new guy, except he's not really the new guy, mm-hmm. you know, and everyone knows he's not staying. So that doesn't make a ton of sense. It still could be that. Um, it's just one of those things that I think says a lot. If your team performs better without your head coach in the last 10 games, and I think they have in the last 10 games been better without Tippett than with Tippett. Um, well, I think they've only played around three or three games with, uh, without Tippett. I know, but it. like, if I look at the last 10 games, some which have Tippett, some which don't, I think the ones yeah. without Tippett overall oh, yeah, those are, are the better showing ones. for the Oilers, mm-hmm. even though there are some wins in there um, with Tippett. Uh, then I think maybe, maybe, um, well, yeah, and this is coming. This is coming the same week that we saw um, uh, Paul Maurice. Paul Maurice uh, is that his name? Oh my goodness, I'm forgetting his name. Paul Maurice. Okay, I'm I'm have the right name here. Uh, this is coming the same week that Paul Maurice um, resigned as head coach of the Winnipeg Jets here because he said that he knew his team needed a new voice. And you know, you know what? what? I really, I really would like to say it's indicative of the state of hockey, or at least the NHL. The first thing I thought when I heard that Palmeris resigned was, "Oh God, what kind of assault, sexual assault, <laughs> abuse scandal is this 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 guy in now?" Yeah, and I, read it, that, I was like, "Oh, was, none of them." What? That was my first thought as well, but luckily, no, that that, that wasn't the case. Um, Palmeris, it, like, it was actually I, I was surprised. It was a really you know, I don't like calling millionaires selfless, but it was kind of a selfless move, like being able to separate yourself from your ego and be like, okay, well, I've done my time here. This yeah. team isn't. Uh... I would say it. It was. It wasn't selfless. I think it was very, very motivated by um, perception. Yeah. But I do think that he, Palmeris, has a fantastic understanding of how far he can take that team and yeah. that they reached that point and that if he continues to try to um take that team somewhere he's going to both hurt that team and his own um marketability in the nhl mm, right that sounds familiar so you know i think that that's a good bit of self-realization mm-hmm. and i'm really um pleased for jets fans yeah i think that i've been hearing his name uh on the hot seat for quite some time. So for him to remove himself from the situation and realize that is uh, something you don't usually see in the NHL. Um, hopefully we see more of it. I mean, you don't usually um, see in hockey at all, like not just the NHL. Yeah. Right. Cause hopefully, hockey loves its redemption narrative. See that crap that I'm starting to hear about Mike Babcock. Right. Oh, boy. oh my goodness. That's, that's the one thing. That's the one thing. If, if this team does get rid of Dave Tippett, which I think they will dang well better not pick up point. Mike Babcock. You're right. D- 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 it's okay. Here's I'm gonna say this for any regular person running the team, for any not hauling GM, it's it's pretty easy. It's pretty easy if you fire um, Dave Tippett. There's a lot of good options out there. Almost all the options are better options. 
but Mike or Dave or Ken Holland, Ken Holland is the only guy in this league that will see all those good options and be like, hmm, but what if I can get the worst option? And that's Mike Bob Babcock. And it's the the stars are aligning here for this to happen. The stars yeah, are absolutely a lot aligning. Pushing the media to push for him, um, definitely. Um, you know, I don't think the the University of Saskatchewan Huskies have been so thrilling that you know he's lighting the world on fire out there in Saskatchewan. I haven't heard of any global warming events, um, but I do think that. Mike Babcock isn't the right person for this team in the same way. Oh, he wasn't not. the right person for the Toronto team is because this team is going to be a very young team. It's going to be same way. Okay. You know, you say Mike Babcock's the worst. I say uh, Tortorello's right up there. Oh yeah. No, Tortorello's right commentary has just shown that he's very, one, I love that lacrosse goal. Like, uh, by the way, that was uh, by Trevor Zegris. Oiler yeah, fans know him as the guy that was available when we took Broberg. Just yeah, just out there. I am trying not to throw <laughs> Philip Broberg under the bus this I week. I like Philip Broberg. I just don't like Please. that management. I remember remember that I don't particularly like Philip Broberg. So my desire to throw him under the bus and drive it over him a few times is perpetually present. I am trying not to engage. I, I, um, I hear. I, I like Philip Broberg, the player. I don't like that management took him where he did. I'm cheering for Philip Broberg, though. I hope he I, does Oh, well. I would like him to succeed because otherwise he's a fucking waste of a first-round pick. <laughs> but, you know, um, I just, I think that there needs to, whoever the Oilers, one, I don't think it's Dave Tippett's. I think whoever the Oilers have as a, a, a head coach needs to be able to provide a space for this team to figure out kind of um, who they are. Because they're not steeped in the 1980s glory, Edmonton Oilers, you know, whatever. Um, and there needs to be given a space for that team to come together, figure out what they're doing, how they're doing it, and really, like, kick it into gear. And I think if they don't um, get that space, you know, if you keep trying to make them a bottom six that's, you know, more checking or more aggressive or has more physical play instead of skilled players or whatever the 18 things that you think you're going to do as a GM or a head coach. I just don't think that they'll have long, they'll have spurts of uh, success, but I don't think they'll have, you know, that long-term cup success. Right. Yeah. I thought we were all in this year. I think we are. I think we are. We don't look we? all in. <laughs> I think we are. I, I think uh, Ken Holland has made some comment saying that he'd like to add to this team at the deadline. But then again, he With says what that. Money? Every, so. With what money? No, yeah. last year he said he thought it was pretty good and he just needed a few depth pieces, remember? And he did that with Kulikov, who was scratched. He was scratched in the elimination game, so... Even though I think Kulikov was probably would be our second best left defenseman. Yeah, you'd easily be our second best left defenseman this year, but we let him go and got Duncan Keith. Um, well, you know, interesting to me that we traded for him and then, you know, let him go at the end of the season, but never mind. That's another. I think it's even more interesting that um, Ken Holland allowed Dave Tippett to scratch him. The only. That was a strange decision. Anyways, that's in the past year. I don't want to relive those painful moments, but uh, hard to not. Don't worry, there's more to come. <laughs> <laughs> Focus on the next painful moment. Um, 
which will be this year's playoffs, most likely. The but the Oilers uh, aren't playing at home for a good long while now. If there mm-hmm. are games um, before World Juniors are all postponed. Oh yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the World Juniors quickly. The Oilers have, I believe, one prospect uh, who will, or yeah, one prospect that I know of that will be um, representing at the World Juniors, and that's Xavier Bor- Borgo. With Team Canada, that kid has been absolutely tearing up the QMJHL. Um, it's so, the run and gun. It's Corey's favorite league. The Q has always been the run and gun league. So, yeah, he's. Uh, let me just pull up his statistics here on uh, the gold hockey DB. Uh, Twenty-four games with Shawinigan, and he has forty-two points. You love to see it. He's been a uh, pretty good, pretty good. Um, to compare that to his previous season, last year he played twenty-nine games and had. 40 points so he's already surpassed last year's total um so he's looking pretty I, good in the queue yeah i just and uh on that same vein i want to bring up uh another guy that the oilers have um where is he petrov he was our sixth round pick um this last year matvey petrov he's playing his first year in the ohl first year in north america we took him 180th overall last year 49 points in 29 games. Um, pretty good for a, for a six-round pick. So we do... Yeah, um, well, I would say don't get too attached to yeah. junior point-scoring defensemen from Europe because didn't we just put one on unconditional waivers? And I don't know if we ever got a complete reason why. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, 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 love, I love following prospects. They're looking good. I, let me be optimistic for this one. I'm not saying interestingly enough, though, if you want to see a bunch of prospects, and they're not Oilers prospects, but if you want to see a bunch of them um, that you can see after World Juniors, the the Oil Kings. um, Oh yes, sent four to Team Canada, and one to Team Slovakia. So they have uh, Sebastian Kossa, first round uh, goaltender pick of the Detroit Red Wings. Dylan Gunther, first round pick of the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, Jake Neighbors, who just came back from, he was, I think he was a first round two years ago. Yeah, he just was, came uh, back from St. Louis. He did his nine and he's back. And Caden Goulet, who's the first round pick of the Montreal Canadiens, back when they could make first round picks that weren't sex offenders. Um, and then Jacob Demick is playing for Slovakia, not a first round pick but uh, drafted by the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, so, so it's a... It's a stacked uh, roster that you could come back to and see after World Juniors even. <gasps> Gasp. <laughs> no, yeah, they're playing some fantastic hockey. The Oil Kings are. They're 22-6-2. and two. Um, Which yeah, surprisingly, surprisingly that isn't... Fr- uh, I'm surprised that doesn't take first place, but the Winnipeg Ice are just crazy. <laughs> oh, have you seen that team? That team is... Ah, fucking delight. I don't even like them because, you know, two iterations ago, they were the Edmonton Ice, but that team is delightful. (laughs) All right. Uh, I would usually end off the podcast with talking about um, some predictions for the Oilers, but lucky us, we do not have any games this week due to the NHL banning cross-border play. Uh, so we don't have any predictions here. So um, anything else? Anything else you'd like to say here to end us off here, Shona? I don't think so. 
no. been told that I'm completely wrong and Demick isn't drafted, which maybe this is his draft year. It's so nice when the, the, the other people, no, I'm right. His, he is drafted by the Golden Knights, but unsigned. Haha, <laughs> my downstairs can stop telling me I'm wrong. I'm right. <laughs> Don't worry, I get the, I get <laughs> so the, I get the Savoys mixed up all the time. Uh, I believe Matthew Savoy. Matthew Savoy is the one that plays for the Winnipeg. Matthew Savoy is out in Winnipeg. And, and Carter um, Savoy is in the NCAA and he's the yeah. Oilers prospect. And I keep yeah. thinking Matthew's and I write for the local sports over in St. Albert. And I know Carter Savoy is from St. Albert. So I wanted to do a, so I heard that Matthew Savoy won WHL player of the week. So I was like, Oh, there's a story for the paper. I go and I look through all this stuff and I find out that Matthew Savoy isn't from St. Albert. Is he? He might be. Oh, he is. Okay, I'm just, I don't know what I'm talking about. I got my, I know I thought that it was. You know, the other one that's good uh, to get really confused. Um, It's not as much fun anymore, but the Dax used to also confuse me because Kirby Dak was out in Saskatoon and then his brother was drafted by Saskatoon as well. And I was just like, yeah, I used to do everywhere before Kyler Yamamoto was an oiler. I used to mistake him for Keanu, his brother who played, I think also played in in, uh, Spokane. So um, hockey. The Wilsons. Uh, Clark and Coltrane also good times. Oh, um, cute. Uh, there's a, a really cute. Well, I think it's cute. Cute viral thing where Mason Geertsen's chirping Todd Bertuzzi for not being uh, vaccinated. <laughs> have you seen that one? I have seen that one. I love it. That's the chirp of the year for sure. Yeah. So um, uh, Geertsen's a former Oil King from the oh, way that's back. That's right. Yeah, that is. So well, we uh, raise him. We raise him right boy, here for the Oil King. Local boy with some good sense. Maybe we end on that one. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think um, we all here at the Copper and Blue podcast, um, Tyler Bertuzzi, if you're listening, get vaccinated. Get your shit together. Get vaccinated. All right, Alex, I'm going to do it for this week's episode. We'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>